Welcome to episode four of Inside US UCOM. I'm Master Sergeant Jeff Curtin from the UCOM Public Affairs, and today we are talking with Douglas Engelke from the J7 team. He is the Deputy Division Chief for the Joint Training Readiness and Exercise Division. That is quite the mouthful, and that's one of the reasons why we just call it J7. Mr. Engelke, it is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right, sir, for those of us that don't speak the J language, can you tell me what the purpose of J7 is? The J7 has uh, two primary functions, assessments and exercises. Uh, that's organized into three broad organizations within the J7, and the one that I'm involved with is the Joint Training Readiness and Exercise Division. Uh, so, so we're responsible for both headquarters exercises and also working with our partners and allies in terms of exercises that improve our interoperability and capabilities together as an alliance. How many people are on your team there in the J7 that are all working on this together? We have approximately 50 people. Um, most of them are contractors. About two-thirds of our JTREX, or uh, Joint Training Readiness Exercise Division Workforce's contractor, four GSs, and the rest are military, whether it be guard or, or reserve or active. Wow, that's a pretty sizable uh, unit or group there if you, if you think about it. Does, it. does it feel like a large unit or do you feel like you're too small? Well, honestly, at times it feels like it's small because the, the growth in exercise program over the past uh, seven years, truthfully, has been astronomical. Ever since 2014, we've gone from a theater security cooperation command where we were working to help build allies and partners in their capacity to one going towards a potential war fight, war fight readiness footing. And that's a lot more work and a lot more exercises. Yeah, it sounds like it. It sounds like you need all those people that are in there. We do. Yeah, so just, can you describe for me USUCOM's exercise program? What goes into yes. the actual program itself? Well, it has three broad categories, but first let me just start with it's roughly 200 events annually that execute here within the theater across the components at lower levels plus our larger headquarters exercises. In the J7, we own a particular slice of that. We track about 30 to, four, 30 to 40 exercises a year, and we're responsible for executing five to six of those in terms of our planning, our execution here at the headquarters. And then we also help with the components also execute some very high-level uh, joint exercises, uh, both uh, among the components, which is uh, the, was the big J joint, as well as with our partners and allies in terms of improving our interoperability. So at the headquarters level, um, that's where we see all the headquarters staff get together with the component headquarters staffs, with the other combatant commands, uh, with the whole of government and our agency to do several large, they're called tier one exercises. But what that really means is they're the biggest and the most time intensive to plan and execute from our perspective. And then we also then support, like I said, roughly 20 exercises annually with the components that are very large, very significant, and involve our partners and allies heavily. Okay. You said that they're really, uh, they, they take a while to, to plan and execute. Yes. How long are we talking to actually plan an exercise? To is this, truly is this a work. a week or two? Or? No, actually, I'm, actually, this is yearly, uh, a year to a year and a half process minimum. Wow. NATO takes a little bit longer because they have many more nations that they're working with. They're, about, they're on about a two-year process to plan a large exercise. But you think that it takes uh, all these different forces coming from different nations, different skill sets, different, different capabilities, and you're blending them in an environment where you're trying to bring together a joint and interoperable capability from a coalition environment, that takes quite a lot of work to make sure you're going to design the exercise correctly to get after everyone's training objectives, as well as then have all the systems in place to be able to talk to each other and do it right when you actually execute. Hmm. Now that's really interesting. So why, why is this exercise program even important? Why, what does it actually give to the mission if it's just the exercise? Right. 
How does it apply to the actual operations? It gives three things, basically. The first is it makes sure that we, UCOM headquarters and the component headquarters, are ready uh, to execute our key war plans. That's his first and, and most important driving imperative, uh, that we practice and we're ready to execute uh, in time of war, deter hopefully in times of, uh, and actually deter in times of peace, but be ready to fight and win if necessary. The second thing it also gives us is a true interoperable capability with our partners and allies. It's a key operational activity that the commander directs in terms of NATO convergence, for example, aligning with NATO and also with our key partners to make sure that we can get together at both the operational level as well as at the tactical level to execute our warfighting functions. You keep uh, mentioning partners and allies. How important are those partners and allies to our actual exercise process? They are a driving function. Um, their training objectives are, are in line and synchronized with our training objectives. Ultimately, we will never fight in this theater by ourselves. We will be here um, and also fight with and alongside and even under, at times, uh, NATO command, just like we did with Odyssey Dawn, for example, uh, back uh, with the Libyan conflict many years ago. We are ready and, and we're postured, and that's what the exercises give us, is the ability to fight with, alongside, our partners and allies. So you got some pretty good relationships there, then. Fantastic. We have a core team that has been doing this for a long time who have been reaching out, and, and we have some people who have been doing the same job, same mission and organization for over 14 to 15 years. Yeah. That's the beauty of some of the GS and contractors that we have on board, that they have these literally individual personal relationships with senior leadership uh, across the NATO AR. So as you far as the partners and allies go, do you just have someone in your office that just happens to know a lot about the country, or do you have actual people from those nations that are involved with your team there uh, in order to communicate with? We do not have any foreign liaisons right now in JTREX itself. However, at UCOM, we do have a large um, foreign liaison corps, and we work hand-in-hand -hand with that via the J5, uh, who owns our partner nation. Uh, relationships, but we have people full-time at UCOM from various nations around the AOR, and we work with them regularly, both in terms of getting their inputs for our exercise program, but they also play in our exercise program. So, for example, there's something called the Multinational Coordination Cell, which is a process by which they are involved and brought into real-world operations, but also our exercises. And so they literally play themselves and uh, give feedback and inputs to the design, but also when we're executing and carrying out uh, these high-level exercises at the operational and strategic level, they represent their country's opinions and their inputs and their requirements so that we can realistically train, realistically be prepared to fight. So you said, you mentioned that the J-5 works directly with the foreign liaison officers, mm -hmm. so they're a different section than you. Right. So what is the J-5 exactly? The J-5 actually is a very large directorate at UCOM that is responsible for policy, for plans, and also direct engagement with our partners and allies. So for example, they have um, actual military members at the embassies around the AOR that actually uh, work and work with the State Department, work with the foreign partners and allies actually at the embassies. And so they have that direct relationship in country. They bring that experience back here as well as having some of the foreign members work here at UCOM. And so they're an integrating function for bringing that kind of participation into planning operations and exercises. Oh, got it. Okay. So you work with the J-5, I would assume you work with all, all, several, several of the other J-directorates in order to do a lot of these exercises. Correct, well. correct. So, so is the full, 
you would say that there's the full headquarters involvement really in this uh, in this process of planning exercises. Correct. We touch every single director. We touch every component. Um, so in the design of an exercise, uh, we the J7 are not experts, for example, in what the J4 needs to exercise or be ready to execute its key war plans or what its objectives might be with actually actually with NATO or with certain key partners. Same thing with the J2 and in terms of intelligence sharing. We aren't expert in that, so we bring these to these different groups and organizations together in the planning process, and we take it through a, a long planning cycle where we bring in their training objectives and desires, their capabilities come to bear too in terms of planning the scenario, planning the exercise design, and then of course they're also fully integrated in the execution. So the way that sort of plans out is you have somebody called a trusted agent in each of these directorates. And what they do is they get to see behind the curtain. So they get to see behind all the exercise design, understand what's going to come in the exercise because they've helped design it. And so they're the expert in, from their own organization who helps design a training scenario that will make sure that they are being effectively tasked and challenged. Sounds complicated. It is. <laughs> it's a good thing you got a large, a large directorate there to help you take care of that, right? Um, so you, you talked about, you talked with uh, foreign liaison officers in order to work with the different nations in the area, and you talked with the, about uh, the different components within the, within the regions as well, uh, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, the Army. Yes. As, as well as special operations. Correct. Um, so let's go a little bit wider than that even. So outside of our region, how do you work with the combatant commands of, of the other locations, whether they be geographic or they be operational? Each year, um, we participate in as well as lead several exercises that reach globally. Um, in fact, there's a thing called the Globally Integrated Exercise, which is led by the Joint Staff. We participate, as do our different organizations here at UConn, the different directors participate. And that is a process that looks at, no kidding, giving best military advice to the chairman and SECDEF based upon worldwide problem sets. We also have other exercises like Oster Challenge, which is our biggest headquarters exercise, where other combatant commands all play in that exercise. So they might play as a full-blown full training audience where they're actually exercising their own staff at the same time, or they'll provide a response cell or some type of augmentation to make sure we're getting realistic inputs. So for example, Oster Challenge that goes in 22, not only will it involve NATO, not only will it involve key partners and allies, but it will also involve every combatant command in the world will have participation, functional and combatant command, including State Department, including um, the, actually the, the whole government presence. Wow. So it's safe to say at this point that you basically work with just about everyone in the world <laughs> in order to get these up and going, right? For our large headquarters exercises, they are truly complex beasts. So the concept is put our people in these situations so that they can understand Correct. how to operate when they actually come about. They can understand the environment, the operational environment, the strategy that's going into it, how our plans relate, how NATO's plans uh, are um, actually in alignment and synchronized, uh, and how we synchronize with theirs. So it gives us that broad perspective as a headquarters how to operate within this AOR. Awesome. Okay. Um, now, what are some major component exercises that are coming up that the headquarters kind of oversee? Well, I'm actually glad you asked because we're not the only dog in town. In fact, in some ways, the, are the, the exercises at the components are larger, uh, particularly in terms of manpower materiel that come to bear. The headquarters exercises involve a few thousand people, but it's really being done on the backbone of a model and simulation system and a lot of laptops and a lot of desktop systems. When you talk at the large component exercises, this is when you're actually seeing forces in the field from all these different nations, from all these different components coming together uh, to operate in the field. So, for example, USER has one of the largest uh, series. Uh, it's called Defender. 
Defender is a large uh, re reinforcement in place where we try to deploy a large amount of forces from the U.S. Uh, AOR here in theater. And we work with our partners and allies who also then synchronize some of their exercises to leverage those same forces, to leverage some of the same command and control exercises that would be over that, to come together to receive the forces, supply them, and then conduct uh, and practice plans and operations in the field uh, as a combined force with our allies. Hmm. How many... So defender exercise is, is kind of like an overarching exercise with many smaller exercises inside it? Not inside of it, but linked. So okay. for example, um, actually defender is that big movement and resupply and also command post exercise and supporting that. That links up, for example, with NATO's Steadfast Defender, similarly named for the same purpose, because they then exercise all the NATO logistics and requirements in terms of receiving forces here in the theater and the AOR. It's also linked to a series of other exercises, which then take those forces that arrive, and those, they then use those forces to actually conduct certain types of operations, whether it be naval, whether it be air, or whether it be ground-based. Okay, so how many exercises are there connected to Defender? Currently, we have eight, and um, and so and 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 also now there are some partner nations who also do some exercises during the same kind of time period. Ultimately, it all comes down to we when when you have these types of forces and this amount of forces in the field, you leverage them for multiple purposes. Uh, but ultimately, Defender in its inception was designed to demonstrate the U.S. capability to quickly and rapidly bring large amounts of men and material here to the theater uh, in case of crisis. To demonstrate our ability to, to basically operate quickly and reassure our allies as well as deter potential adversaries. And I imagine our partners and allies are an important part of Huge. that process of bringing them over as well, right? We, do, we really can't move them by ourselves. Uh, actually, the moment that they actually get off the ship or get off the plane, uh, that now is a host nation providing that rail network, that uh, train network, the truck transportation network uh, to a large degree, contracts here within the host nation, all supported uh, by our um, NATO allies as well as our key partners. NATO even has a command that it's I actually did stand up recently, the Joint, um, the joint Support Logistics Group, which works heavily with our U.S exercises and the Defender series to basically help execute those those logistics as well as other NATO logistics. Okay. And so, I mean, Defender 21 is supposed to be starting here in a couple of days. So how much, how much touch do you have on that now that it's about to start? I mean, as far as the exercise person, you're pretty much off of hands off at this point, I would hope, right? For the component-led exercises, correct. Uh, those headquarters exercises like Oster Challenge that I mentioned before, that's we, we run it. We execute it. We stand up a huge group and we're in charge. But we help plan resource. Basically, we plan, program, uh, direct, and assess these big field exercises that the components are doing. But they execute them. Uh, they, they are they are the actual office the, the actual officer conducting that event. In other words, they're in charge of everything from force protection to how the forces are moving in the field. We are now in a support role and monitoring role, and also a messaging role. Really, when it comes down to the field exercises. Uh, so there's a lot of different phases and parts. Correct. To these uh, to to planning all of these. So what would you say is the most important part? Truthfully, you can't, you, you actually really can't say one is more important because it all collapses if one doesn't go well. Um, if you do not plan and program effectively, and that's three to five years out, by the way. This starts three to five years out when you start requesting forces and funds because we do try to get certain key forces that are very hard to come by sometimes, that are very low density and in high demand. These, these really capable high-end joint entities, whether it be um, F-22s or whether it be some other kind of system that you want to bring in because those have a lot of real-world commitments and other extra exercise commitments. So you start the funding process and the force request many years out. Then about two years out, you get down to the brass tacks of planning. And that's when you're going to these conferences with your partners and allies and the components. 
and you're laying out, hey, these are my training objectives. Oh, this is the logistics required. We need a contract and support to place to do this. We need this much range space to be able to drop this many bombs on this range. We need this much um, support from um, actually from this country to do this. And then they, those other countries bring those same requirements. Hey, I, I'm trying to train this battalion in this, and I wanted to integrate with the U.S. forces here. So all that happens starting around two years out. And then you get down to then the actual execution phase. And that's when things actually start moving in the field. So you've already done all your planning. You've built all these, these, uh, these force deployment plans. Now you're actually executing them in the field. So now you have your commanders out there trying to make sure people are at the right place, the right time, doing the right thing safely to get after their wartime readiness. And so then the last phase, uh, which people sometimes forget about, is the assessment phase. So when you finish doing all this, you have to go back because we don't just do exercises for the sake of just doing the exercise. We do the exercise not only to reassure allies, not only to execute actually key war plans, but to inform our plans, to inform how well prepared we are to actually fight if we need to. So then we take the post-end assessment and then it feeds into the next exercise series, but it also feeds back into the plans. Hey, this didn't work well. So now suddenly we've got to redo this or do it better in, in a certain way. So it's a end-to-end -end process. It really is a cycle. And without doing every one of those phases, you're wasting time and effort. Wow. There's a lot that goes into this, a lot of different parts. Yes. Uh, sounds like synchronization may be the key word of, uh, of your team there. It is. Honestly, we, we have an incredible team, actually, within the J-7. Like I said, some people have been doing this same job for 14, 15 years, and the people who have come in and swap out every two or three years, like, actually, the military members are just hard-charging. They're out here um, just doing incredible work, taking advantage of a, a, a really strong and experienced team, and making true difference in our command's warfighting readiness. There's, um, there's a lot of parts in there. That I really appreciate the fact that your team is working so hard to put on those exercises and, uh, and, and really planning them long term and, and really figuring out what we need years down the road, right? Right. I think we have one of the funnest jobs on staff. We actually get to work in all phases of uh, long range, the tyranny of long range planning to the crisis of now. Uh, so it's, uh, it's, it is rewarding, but we actually see the result. We actually see the, our impact on warfighting readiness. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, uh, you know, the, the stuff that comes up on, on the fly, how has uh, COVID actually played a role in, in your planning process? COVID has been a major impact. Unfortunately, this last year, we did see a um, most of our exercises actually were impacted by COVID in some way. Um, some were canceled uh, by host nations just due to the um, things they had going on within their borders when it first came out last year. We lost most of our exercise program to cancellation or to postponement. But we did, however, manage to save um, quite a bit. For example, Defender last year was going to, be, going to be the first large defender here in theater. And we actually did deploy over half the forces and half the troops here to theater, which also then did get some training in with partners and allies based upon certain local conditions allowing that. Uh, but we did have other exercises postponed, for example. We had Astral Night, which is one of our major, uh, um, major integrated air and missile defense exercises that USAFE leads with partners and allies. And so they postponed that, put that into a window where it could be supported last fall. So unfortunately, some of our partner nations um, and, and actually their exercises did cancel just based upon the realities of COVID, uh, but now what we're trying to do is maximize FY22, calendar year 22, and, and ensuring that we make up for some of those losses. So what you're seeing is one of the largest exercise programs ever put together in, in this next year. Wow. So yeah, it's safe to say that uh, regardless of what happens, we're going to continue to operate, we're going to continue to exercise, and we're going to continue to plan uh, to, to do all the things that we do on a regular basis. And it sounds like the J7 and your whole, your whole team there 
they're ready to, to take that on regardless of the situation. One of the things I'm actually really proud of in terms of us working in the COVID environment was that we really were groundbreaking and, and, and actually really within within DOD and our ability to plan virtually. So we, we actually leveraged uh, multiple systems, classified and unclassified systems, uh, to include joint staff systems, to include ones that are on the unclassified systems, uh, both virtually in terms of uh, uh, visual technology, as well as uh, just large speakerphone systems, that we were enabled us to continue planning. So even for those events uh, that that were impacted, the planning still went on. So we still had benefit, even when an exercise might get postponed or actually downscaled. We still planned and we coordinated with the components, with our partners and our allies because of the virtual advances we made this year. And we'll continue to use those in years out. Yeah, and it's made us all kind of better for it in the long run. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to watching one of these exercises play out and seeing all the things that everybody learns from these particular exercises. So. Mr. Engelke, it has been a pleasure speaking with you about this, and uh, we really we really talked about a whole lot of stuff today. This has been uh, Inside USUCOM, and I am here with uh, Deputy Division Chief for the Joint Training Readiness and Exercise Division, Mr. Engelke. Thank you. And uh, I appreciate having you here today, and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Anytime. Glad to come back.